This is exactly right. What are the principles? Like, what are the things that we could unpack psychologically that if we apply them, it allows us to figure out our version of that so we can create our own unique brand of that, right? We can start to live with a sense of clarity and certainty. You know, I, I believe uncertainty about who you are is the greatest obstacle. It's the greatest reason why we tend to make self-destructive decisions. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, with increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is Live the Life You Want with my friend and colleague, Dr. Andy Garrett. With a doctorate in clinical psychology and extensive studies in life coaching, Dr. Andy is at the forefront of a revolutionary movement towards personal growth. He's a leading expert in the field of identity work understanding how identity creates your reality and what you can do to establish identity that is authentic to who you are and that is anchored to your personal, true North self and purpose. Throughout his career, he's contributed a significant and meaningful role as a consultant for multiple faith-based and high-performing organizations, specializing in empowering his clients to become the authors of their ideal future. He conducts his empowering and life-changing work in his multiple offices in Southern California. Dr. Andy, welcome to the show. Dr. Dan, it is just a pleasure to be here. Uh, I know I've been privileged to have hours of conversations with you, just one-on-one, and uh, I feel like you've been really a, a mentor to me and someone that I respect, someone that lives what he preaches. So uh, it's just really an honor to be here. Oh, awesome. And the feeling is mutual. And we've been we've been talking about this conversation for literally years, <laughs> right? Years. We've been yeah. talking about actually doing this. And uh, so much has uh, discussion um, has gone on between us. Um, and, and a lot of which we're going to be talking about today. And I um, let's start by telling everyone, first off, your path to becoming a psychologist. Ooh, okay. Uh, so, you know, I think there was certainly I was was practicing uh, pre licensure uh, as a <laughs> yeah. as a kid, yeah. e- even in high school. Yeah. Um, I think people just naturally always felt very comfortable in speaking with me. I, I think I, you know, part of it was a pathological response to need people's uh, approval, right? right? So I got very good at figuring out who people needed me to be. Uh, but I just always have had kind of a non-judgmental approach. I'm, I'm very curious. That's something I continue to bring with me into my work today. I have this natural curiosity, uh, and, and I approach it from a very non-judgmental perspective. So I think people have just always felt very safe in opening up to me. And so we'd have you know kids that 
uh, you'd never guess, you know, some of the most popular kids at school, the star athletes, things like that in private discussion, they were opening up and telling me about their, you know, deepest uh, wounds and, and things like that. And so there was kind of a natural tendency already for that. Uh, in college, uh, I, I was double majoring in English and psychology. Uh, I think the path forward on exactly what to do with English was a little less clear. Yeah. Uh, and I had some amazing teachers that that really, I think, took the time uh, in psychology at the, the undergrad program uh, I went to that, that uh, answered a lot of questions that I loved what they were doing, the impact they were having. And so I, I found myself just kind of leaning more towards that. And of course, you know, there's some element, and I know I'm not a physician, but that whole physician heal thyself, right? There, yeah. There's some element yeah. of getting yeah. into this, trying to understand and figure out some of my own struggles. And, and then identity, which has been the cornerstone of your work and, um, you know, you emerging as a leader in this space, what was the transition to identity and how, I mean, it's so core to what you do and how you live. Yeah. You know, again, it really was initially the the byproduct of some of my own struggles that, you know, I, I really had a rough childhood and adolescence. I was in a lot of pain and I just didn't know how to make sense of it. I didn't have the tools. I wasn't equipped to know how to handle these emotions. And, you know, I was kind of at war within myself in my own head uh, at the age of 20, uh, almost 21, when most people are getting to ramp up their partying, you know, I was like, I think I need to ramp it down. Mm -hmm. uh, so I started doing a, a lot of therapy. I mean, I got involved with every type of therapy. I got into individual group. I did fire walks. I got into sweat lodges. It was like, whatever. I was, I was like, you know, you, you want me to do couples counseling? I'm not, I'm not in a relationship, but I'll, I'll do whatever I can to heal. And I got a lot out of that in the sense of how to stop, you know, being so self-destructive. And I think I learned how to heal some of those, those deep wounds, but there was still a gap between going, you know, if you think of, of well being on a spectrum from a minus 10 to a plus 10, mm -hmm. you know, I feel like that, that experience helped me get out of the, the negative side, but, but I kind of was at a baseline, you know, from maybe a minus two to a plus two. And I didn't know how to scale up and really start to experience uh, consistently or with any sense of consistency, uh, you know, thriving. And, and that's, that's a, was an important thing to me. And so I, I really started to look at people in my life that I felt like were living on the far right hand side of the plus, you know, that spectrum and, and were mm -hmm. thriving. Uh, and what were they doing? And I noticed some some consistent themes that they seemed to have a deep sense of security in who they were. Uh, they often talked about their values, right? They talked about what was most important to them. And you could mm -hmm. see that those were guiding principles and how they made mm -hmm. daily decisions. And so there was just a sense that there's something different in what they're doing. And uh, it was when I was in grad school where I thought I was crushing it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm one of the top students. I'm going to the gym daily. I'm getting personal, you know, best and, and, and uh, enjoying going to the beach. Uh, I, you know, my dating life was pretty full. I had a lot of friends. And, and one of my best friends said, I, I got this amazing girl I want to introduce you to. But before I do, you, you need to get your act together. And I, huh. I was genuinely confused. I'm like, what do you, you were mean? crushing off, it. What is he talking friend. about? You're crushing it. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> so he set me up probably against his, his own best judgment uh, with uh, who's now my wife. And, and oh, as soon as I wow. met her, I, I realized what he meant is that my friend knew who I was capable of being. And then he saw the decisions that I made and how I dated, things like that. And it was so wildly inconsistent with what he knew, right? It was like I was making decisions that had no strategy behind them, that had no real clear awareness of who I was or what was important to me. Um, I was just making really emotional decisions based off of just chemistry, attraction. And I'm not saying that's not important, right? But, but we know that uh, 
you know, when you're attracted to someone, you tend to lose objectivity. And so you tend to assign to that person the, the characteristics that you want to see in them, not necessarily who they are. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I've got a funny story that one of the last girls that I, I dated before I met Abby uh, was in grad school and it was a girl that um, I had, you know, chemistry. I thought there was, there was certainly a strong attraction. And so in my mind, before I even got a chance to actually, you know, talk to her and get to know her, I was already imagining that she volunteers at, you know, uh, orphanages on the weekends. She <laughs> must sing in, in the choir at church. And, and, and so I get a chance to meet her. And, you know, she's this, this petite uh, little thing, but she's got this deep husky voice because she's a chronic smoker, right? She's cursing, which, you know, not, not that big of a deal, but she's demanding on the first date that I psychoanalyze her and tell her something about her childhood, right? And I'm like, that's not the type of therapy I do, but I, I'm guessing maybe you're wounded. Like, <laughs> let me, let me j- jump out on a limb there. Uh, so the date, by all means, was a disaster. And, and, and the worst thing about it is at the end of it is I asked her out on a second date. And in fact, I went out on multiple dates with her. And, and I know I've shared this story a few times at places where I've, I've spoken. And I can hear the crowd moaning as I'm yeah, telling yeah. them that I went out on a second date. Like, why? And I always laugh and I say, well, how many of you out there have made a decision that you knew was not your best interest? And yet you did it anyways. And then mm-hmm. you double down on it and you triple down on it. And I think that's what happens when you don't have a clear sense of identity. You start yeah. making decisions and you stick with strategies that clearly don't work. And because you don't, you know, I don't think we often know why we make the decisions. But when you have an identity, a, a clear sense of, of who you are, I think you start becoming much more intentional. You start making mm-hmm. decisions that are aligned with things that actually matter to you. And so when I met Abby, um, I realized this is the type of girl I should have been dating the entire time. And it was the very first time I ever applied anything like understanding what was important to me, looking at my values. And it was clear that she was perfectly aligned with you know mm-hmm. what mattered to me and so you know, yeah first time i applied yeah. that and, and, we, and we got married it worked it worked long term so <laughs> yeah. you, you know you're you 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 said a really important i want to highlight something that you said that's an important distinction because a lot of times we are driven to avoid pain get out of pain you know um avoid yeah. distress and so you know, often that pain is what leads us to whatever type of recovery or healing uh, journey that we're on. And then as you point out, you know, you got to a place that you were not feeling in pain and you felt some healing um, and perhaps some integration and some new understanding. And yet that's different than purposefully living and thriving. And really what your work is about, um, as anyone who knows you, um, who's heard you, who goes on your website, um, is that you're about thriving, right? You're about like, this, this, this is not just about not feeling distress and getting out of pain. This is about living the life you want and being your best self. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. And that's absolutely uh, my primary goal is to understand the the essence of what empowers us to thrive. And so, you know, if I, if I finish up how the identity piece, uh, I'd love to tell you that from that moment on that I, you know, got married to Abby, that my identity was super clear. I figured it all out and have made nothing but great decisions since then. Uh, <laughs> that certainly wasn't the case. Uh, you know, we'd get in arguments and things would spiral and I'd feel like my, it was being threatened. You know, I felt insecure oftentimes. And I felt like a little boy I mean, like getting shamed and I responded in boyish ways, you know, in mm-hmm. marriage that ended up just intensifying conflict, uh, creating more chaos. Uh, you know, there, there was a lot of good moments, but uh, it, it really was uh, Abby got uh, pregnant a few years into our marriage 
And uh, unfortunately, at about 23 weeks into the pregnancy, uh, she ended up going into labor and had a stillbirth. And so Ooh. she was uh, devastated by this. So, so was I. Uh, it was a very difficult moment. And I recognized that she went through a really deep depression and, and I was mm -hmm. scared. I mean, I was genuinely scared. And I realized that I needed to step up, right? This wasn't about, you know, me and, and me needing to feel sorry for myself, but there was a challenge in front of me and I needed to respond, you know, and meet that challenge for my wife. Mm -hmm. And we needed to use this to grow. And if I didn't have a clear sense of starting to figure out, so I, I went back to some of those people that I referenced that I, I call now true North exemplars and said, what was it they did? Like, why were they mm -hmm. able to respond to challenges? And you know, why did they seem to love the life that they live? I mean, they genuinely, some of these people had more energy than I, I, even probably to this day than I do, right? Deep mm -hmm. into their 80s. I mean, part of me was like, do they have a secret stash of Red Bull somewhere that they're drinking? <laughs> uh, and I realized now because you know, their life was fueled by autonomy and purpose. There was a sense that they were intrinsically motivated. And so they were tapping into the source of like re self replenishing motivation that the, the more that they engaged with their family and their businesses in every area of life, being clear about who they were, strengths they wanted to expand, it was like they were living in maximum flow state. And, and so it was, it, you could feel that being around them, right? My, my grandpa being primarily one of them. My grandpa was yeah. a very successful businessman. Uh, he started Carl's Jr. So Carl Karcher, uh, you know, and yet he would make it home as he's building this, you know, fast food mogul empire by 530 every day to be home with his family. He had 12 kids. I have something like 50 cousins. It's, it's, bon you know, family, family get togethers are a bit bonkers. Okay. And yet despite all, yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I, I'm just saying like, wait a second. Like, I've known you, I've known you a long time. <laughs> And you've always <laughs> talked about how influential he has been in your life. But this is the first time I'm hearing it's Carl Karcher. <laughs> oh, really? We, uh, gotcha. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That, that, I mean, because that just, that's just kind of who you are is you're not about that. You're yeah. about this yeah. person who was so instrumental and has been a North star in your life, a guiding North star in your life. And, um, Anyway, so that to me just is a cool fact I didn't know about. And um, yeah, what a powerful person. What a powerful person. I, for the longest time, was really uncomfortable with even bringing up, uh, uh, you know, my grandpa's name. Uh, and, and I've just learned to feel more, more comfortable. I know some people project into what they assume he must have been like, what it must have been like. You know, a lot of people would say it must have been so difficult for you growing up in a shadow. And, and that was never my experience. Uh, being around him was one of the few places in childhood where my head was constantly going a thousand miles a minute. I had a very difficult time relaxing. Uh, when I was around him, he was so secure in who he was that it was mm -hmm. like, you know, that my, my mind slowed down and I could relax into myself. It was one of the few places where I didn't feel like I had to put on a mask to try and, you know, make him feel good about himself or, you know, try and impress him. I could just be. And, and that mm -hmm. was, uh, that was so empowering. And so, you know, we had about a 10 year stretch from the time where I went and did all the therapy before he, he, uh, he died, where I got to spend a lot of time with him. And, you know, we would even refer to each other as best friends and, and I got to eulogize him. Uh, mm. you know, I wasn't the oldest grandkid, so it, it was special that the family kind of recognized that we had a, a, a unique connection. And I mm -hmm. used the term that he was our true North, right? That was all, mm. all those years ago. Um, and, and now that I get a chance to really unpack, you know, what made him, right? I'm not trying to create more car cartridges. But what I'm trying to do is say, what did he do? And what are the principles? Like, what are the things that we could unpack psychologically that if we apply them, it allows us to figure out our version of that 
so we can create our own unique brand of that, right? We can start to live with a sense of clarity and certainty. You know, I, I believe uncertainty about who you are is the greatest obstacle. It's the greatest reason why we tend to make self-destructive decisions. Uh, we tend to you know, make decisions based out of insecurity, ego, fear. And if you can really resolve that internally, the, the clarity you will have and the decisions you want to make, right? And it empowers you then as a parent. You know, my, my number one goal as a parent is to strive to reduce as much unnecessary ambiguity and uncertainty as I possibly can, right? Mm. I don't want my kids ever questioning that I love them. I don't want them to ever question what's important to us. I want them to have clarity that there's these true north things that don't change, right? That these things mm -hmm. remain stable and consistent. And so it empowers them. You know, I, I know what it's like to be around someone that they're so inconsistent between what they say and their actions, their moods constantly fluctuating. It's, it's disorienting, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it really can feel like it makes, makes it very difficult in those moments to feel safe. You start to create hypervigilance. There's a sense right, of, right. you know, it's like you're scanning, looking for her. Um, and so when you're around someone that you know, hey, they're consistently honest. They're consistently reliable. These things, right? You start to build trust and that mm -hmm. allows you to just relax. And now all of a sudden you can start to engage that prefrontal cortex and start making your very best decisions. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And all of this is rooted... I mean, clearly your grandfather was, um, as you said, really confident with who he was, which was rooted in his identity, which has led you to really spend a lot of time, energy, and work on your identity and now helping people with their identity. So, you know, we keep using this word. How would you describe what is an identity, right? Like, what is that concept? Great, great question. Um, and just as a, I heard someone, I should have looked up her name before I jumped on uh, this podcast, but I heard someone was, was on uh, Lewis Howe's show the other day, and she was mm -hmm. a researcher from UCLA, and she was talking about identity. And she said, there, there, you know, from a research standpoint, there, there really isn't a lot of information on identity. So it's really, there's a gap right out there. Um, but she was saying that, you know, and, and I fully agree that it's the overarching kind of beliefs and sense of who we are, and all the things like mindset. Uh, habits, beliefs, behavior, all those things run downstream from identity. And so, you know, when you have a, a central understanding of deep truths, right, these are the deep beliefs about who I am, what defines me, your identity is what you identify with, um, you know, it, it really starts to help create clarity on what decisions then you need to make, on what types of habits you want to create that align with that, what types of relationships you choose. Um, you know, you, you create, uh, I think, alignment. I've, I've used the, the metaphor of rowing a boat. And I mm -hmm. think oftentimes uh, the, the, the research around uncertainty, I'll, I'll back into this just real quick. You know, if you understand how uncertainty affects us, is, our brain essentially responds to this fear, right? And so, and you ratchet up enough uncertainty, we've heard in this time of the pandemic that we're experiencing unprecedented amount of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. and we can experience uncertainty in our relationships. We can experience it financially, uh, health-wise, right? So it's the sense of the unknown. And we start to predict all the worst things that could happen, all these what if scenarios. Uh, and, and it really could hijack our brain where all of a sudden we're operating out of a place of, of fear and self-preservation. Um, and we're removed from our prefrontal cortex in that moment. Uh, the crazy thing is, is there's a type of, uh, of uncertainty that I'm sure most people have never heard of that the research shows is the most debilitating form. And it's called self-uncertainty. Right? It's because we cannot escape. We're constantly in relationship with ourselves. And so that's, that's meaning, do we have a, a self-strategy? Do we have a clear understanding of how we respond to day-to-day -to -day decisions and challenges that we face, 
right? Do we have a consistent sense of how we apply that? Do we have a clear sense of purpose? Mm -hmm. right? Do we understand where our value and significance comes from? When you resolve those things, all of a sudden, it's amazing how you really, again, relax into yourself. But it shows that when you don't have that, it's so overwhelming. There's such a, an uncomfortable uh, sense that we feel this, uh, this desire to immediately resolve it. And if we don't have the answers within, then we tend to start looking outside ourselves and we start to attach our identity to things like our jobs, our income, right? Needing social mm -hmm. approval or, or power. And, and these things uh, tend to be really destructive because they're not well thought out. It's not like, you know, hey, that was a really great decision. And what it creates is the only way I become more or feel better is I've got to get more income or I've got to keep, you know, proving achievements in my job. You'll get a hit of dopamine when you achieve those things. It'll make you feel great. But that dopamine wears off. And if you don't have something that kind of holds you up and makes you feel worthwhile, then you create this dependence on needing more and more of those uh, mm -hmm. dopamine hits to feel good about yourself. Right. And ultimately, that will end up in a very destructive. You know, the, the research around that shows that people that are highly extrinsically motivated, that their identity right. is attached to these extrinsic things. Even the people who are, are, are most successful in that, they tend to uh, be uh, perceived or assessed by themselves and people closest to them as being uh, insecure, anxious, angry, dissatisfied, selfish, and narcissistic. I don't imagine yeah. anybody listening to this is like, yes, sign yeah, me up for that. Yeah, yeah I want to be all of those things. And it, you know what? It makes <laughs> sense because if we're extrinsically motivated, and I can tell you that I've spent uh, you know, a large portion of my life being very extrinsically motivated in terms of being very achievement oriented and, you know, perfectionistic and, and pleasing. And, you know, it's highly dependent on all of these outside factors that are really out of our control. And so, yeah, it creates yes, an underlying yeah. insecurity and underlying, um, anxiety and yeah, it feels good when you get that dopamine hit, but it goes away as quick as it comes. And so what you're talking about is um, this having this foundational and bedrock of intrinsic motivation. And for everyone listening, like what motivates you on the inside that comes from within. And when we can achieve that, we are more grounded and have a lot more of the good stuff instead of this, this other not so good stuff that you've mentioned. So my question for you, Andy, is... Would you say that everyone has an underlying identity that is aligned with their best self and North Star, um, and you just have to pull, you know, pull the stuff around it and 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 create that awareness, or does it need to be built, so to so to speak? Ooh, love that question. Uh, I believe everything that you need to establish that identity is is already within you. So I do believe it, there is just a matter of needing sometimes a guide. Uh, sometimes it's the right set of questions. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the essence of, of what I learned from my grandpa and other True North exemplars, other people that just have had a disproportionate amount of impact on me, you could tell that the job that they were in, that it was the perfect job for them, right? They love going to work every day and they were passionate and, and the impact they had was significant. So looking at the unique traits of these people, they clearly were able to prioritize what mattered most in the moment. And you could see that their life matched that uh, with a great degree of consistency. You could see that they're intrinsically motivated, right? That the decisions that they were making were driven by a sense of autonomy and purpose. Um, and, and there was a sense that they knew what their strengths were and specifically their character strengths. And they understood how they wanted to apply them 
and, and use them to have the, what I call the virtuous impact. Like what good did they want to bring into the world in the roles that they had that really, you know, was, was unique and important to them. And when they made a strategy for life out of that, so that's how they a- approach their work. It's how they approach their relationships. Uh, it creates authentic true North identity. Uh, so what I believe, you know, sometimes I'll meet with someone and they'll say, well, I don't know my values. You know, I have them go through one of my exercises and they get frustrated. So sometimes I'll say, all right, you know, let's take the pressure off that. And I will just sit and listen to what they talk about. And it's amazing. It doesn't take long usually because you start to hear the things that make them really angry, the things mm-hmm. that tend to cause conflict in their relationships, the things that they get really passionate about. There's a different level of energy that people experience as they start talking about things that, that really matter to them. Uh, I was in the room with someone the other day and this person kept talking about respect, right? The saying was like, I don't know what my values are. And and I said, it sounds like that respect is really important to you. Might that be a core value? And, and he started to get tears in his eyes in it because he recognized and he had the story from childhood about, you know, why that meant so much to him. And there was a sense of him almost discovering like this aha moment about what drives him, about what defines him. And when he feels like he is respecting others or in relationship with people he respects, and he's then receiving respect. Uh, mm-hmm. Those are some of the most profound moments in, in his life. A powerful memory, and I, I share this on occasion, and it was late 20s. Um, I was going through a difficult time um, depressed, anxious towards the end of graduate school and, um, had a lot of uncertainty going on, which to bring in that word, you know, as one of the, one of these, uh, one of the triggers for <laughs> sure. And it was a rainy day. Um, I was in my car, I was at a stoplight and I looked down at the bumper sticker of the car in front of me and it said, if you don't stand for something, you don't stand for anything. And I remember looking at that and saying, you know, well, what do I stand for? And uh, for those of you listening who have experienced a pretty um, hard depression, y- people people who've experienced it know that one of the things that can happen is you lose sense of who you are when you're in a clinical depression. Um, you lose like touch with your core values. And so in that moment, I actually started to have a panic because I couldn't get in touch with what I stood for. And over the next two days, I re- it just like I was thinking like, what do I? What matters to me? What matters to me? And it was literally yeah. through that message that I got that I started to find my way back to myself by focusing on all the things that I knew were important to me, which helped me remember like who I really was. Man, that is powerful, and uh. Bumper stickers. Who who would have known that that would have been the catalyst? (laughs) Yeah, Um, it's interesting. the The reason why the who am I question that that's like one of the primary questions through my course. Um, You know, who am I? What's my purpose? I believe when you can answer those two questions with clarity, um, you can crush uncertainty, and it's it it really is incredible how easy things start to get from there, you know, uh, that you remove a lot of the internal resistance that we tend to feel, right? When I felt at war with myself, I start to feel more at peace with myself. And so, uh, but it was a, a, an application for a internship and it, it was something along the lines, describe who you are. And mm-hmm. it created an existential, you know, just absolute <laughs> uh, panic attack. And, and I, I went through and 
first off, I was so used to excelling in test. So mm -hmm. I, I was angry. I was like, what's the answer they want? You know, why don't they just tell me what they want me to, you know, to say, and I'll give them the best answer they've ever heard. Um, but I, I have actually my notes from trying to answer that still in the garage somewhere. I'm sure my wife <laughs> would love for me to throw them away, but, <laughs> um, and I started probably 25 different answers. You know, I would start to say, well, I'm a, a son, you know, I'm a, a, I'm someone, a believer and all these different things, but you could see this rabbit hole, right? I'd start to explain it. And then I was contradicting myself. And then it was a series of paradoxes. And I eventually it was like, I'm not applying to that school. So let me just take that off. But it created so much angst inside of me. And if you think about how we interact, you know, we, we go to a job interview, we're interacting with our kids and our kids, you know, start to challenge us. They say, no, you know, why do we choose, you know, one path or one decision or response versus another? If in that moment, I'm not clear on what I stand for, right, as you're saying, then it's easy to feel like, you know, that even with, with kids, that, that my son is, you know, my son's a contrarian, he's six, mm -hmm. and his answer the first time around is no to everything, right? Mm -hmm. And so that can be frustrating. It can start to, it's easy to, to start to even say things that aren't nice, you know, out of frustration. And so if I'm not really grounded on who I want to be as a dad, uh, then Oftentimes, I will respond out of that frustration. I'll respond out of, you know, insecurity. Um, I'm not good enough. I'm able to meet this moment. Uh, but uh, you know, one of my, my favorite all-time personal development quotes comes from Viktor Frankl. Uh, mm -hmm. Have you read his yep. book, Man's Search for Meaning? Man, yeah. Man's Search for Meaning. So it's powerful. Says between, yeah. Man, not, yeah. not, not exactly a light read, but, uh, no. but incredible. Uh, he says between a, a stimulus, between what happens to us and our response, there's a space. And in that space is where our capacity for growth and freedom exists. And mm. I think I gave up my capacity for growth and freedom uh, throughout much of my life by just responding out of a sense of fear, out of, uh, you know, uh, emotions, out of ego. Uh, I never took the time to just say, it's okay to slow down. It's okay to stop and pause, breathe, right? And then being able to pivot, give yourself enough time to let that prefrontal cortex kick in. So you can, that's where your values exist, your values mm -hmm. and your virtues and your strategic problem solving. And so when I'm able to stop with my son or my wife in those moments where I'm feeling challenged or in work, and then remember what I've written out about my identity statements, it's amazing how that helps me to pivot into much, much better decisions that actually help, you know, add to the overall bank deposit, the surplus of positive moments and meaningful interactions versus those moments that you're, you're really regretting. And man, man, I wish yeah. I could take that back. So, right. And we're, and uh, we're, we're talking about awareness, right? We're talking about having an awareness of what's important to you, what you stand for, how you want to be, how you want to be experienced. And that pause is so important because I, I mean, this is another thing that I think that has been, it sounds so simple, but something that has been such a powerful uh, tool in my later life, which is, hey, take a moment. Like you don't have to respond to most things in the moment, whether it's with your family, whether it's with your friends, whether it's with your kids. I mean, short of an emergency situation, you can pause and take a little time to reflect, <laughs> as you said, to engage that prefrontal cortex to make a decision that is aligned with who you are rather than a reaction based on emotion, based on adrenaline, based on anxiety or whatever, which is most usually not aligned with who we are and who we want to be. Yeah. So, so well said. Um, you know, I, I had a, a, a moment where my wife and I were in the car and we were heading on a like 45 minute drive, maybe two minutes into it. 
my, my wife kind of was digging into me and, and said something I've recognized now that I'm, I'm really sensitive and I've learned to embrace that. Uh, <laughs> but she said something and my, my feelings were hurt. And my initial response to that was to just emotionally shut down, right? It's like I'm giving her the silent treatment and it felt like natural law. It was like that is the just response to what she just said. And there's no other possible option to this moment. Fortunately, right, I was able to catch myself because I was like, I don't really want to do this. this. This is a 45 minute drive. This is going to be a long drive. And the more I get silent, I know more. I know her anger is going to build. And it just creates this really uncomfortable, you know, that I'm going to go to this event. I'm going to put on a fake smile, knowing that I'm going to be, you know, in trouble as soon as we get back in the car. So <laughs> yeah. I was able to just simply ask myself, like, is there another option here? And again, because I've, I've written out, this is who I am intrinsically motivated to be as a husband. I have, I have clarity on how I want my wife to feel in my presence, right? I know exactly mm. what strengths I bring to this. And so I was able to, to pivot in that moment. And, you know, I, I made a, a kind of a humorous gesture. I put my hand like I was going to wanted to hold her hand. So when she started to reach out for it, I pulled it back like psych, you know, on her. Yeah, and she yeah. looked at me like, are you serious? And I, we both started laughing. Thank God she laughed, right? Because I could have <laughs> yeah. gone, could have gone bad. <laughs> yeah. it, and it broke the tension. And, and all of a sudden, right, we started talking, we're able to quickly resolve, you know, that the, the brief uh, moment of, of tension, and we had a lovely car ride, right? And the, and the night ended up, it, it built this virtuous moment that, that led upwards towards yeah. growth, as yeah. opposed to creating a vicious cycle, right, that destroys. That, that is such a great example of making a choice as opposed to responding with our, I would say like a, a really normal, to normalize this, our normal hard drive response, which is, you know, right, you hurt yeah. me, okay, this is what I'm going to do to you, right? That's just a human response. Yeah. But yeah. but we have choices in those moments, and you you were able to think about how you wanted to be and then pivot. And and so this, this is a line with, um, I imagine, with your true north self right so tell us like t talk about the concept of of what this true north is and how we cultivate it first in ourselves and of course we're all wanting to also do this for our kids yeah yeah love that question so first of all i, I love the term true north now i will admit i didn't necessarily know this when i used it to define my grandpa uh it's something i've only learned in the last several years but do you, do you know there's a difference between true north and magnetic north no. Yeah. You, you, Educate. I, and I'm Educate. Sure are, yes. <laughs> so True North is a geographical lo location that remains the same. It's always the same place, right? It doesn't change. Uh, magnetic North is what you usually use with like compasses and things like that. Uh, and it very rarely ever aligns with True North. It's constantly responding to the electromagnetic field of the earth. And so it's always shifting. Now hmm. it's reliable. So I'm sure there are people out there that, that, that know this much better than I do. They're like, come on. Uh, but the, the, the metaphor I use on this is that true north really is about establishing those things that shouldn't change, right? When our sense of uh, what's important, our, our, our morals, right? When they're constantly changing, depending on the environment we're in, it creates that sense, you know, almost like a, a tit for tat ethics. You know, I, I, my kids, they granted they're young, they've got values, vision boards, right? They've written out their <laughs> uh, uh, virtues and character strengths. So hopefully they do not resent me when they get older for this. Uh, but you know, my daughter is committed that she wants to be, you know, kindness is one of those things that's really essential to her. She's Avery Bravery, right? She talks about courage. And I've seen her at times talk through moments where she's scared. She's able to access, you know, kind of these, these strict strengths and things that are important to her. And she's able to overcome. But when it comes to interacting with her brother, 
you know, he will antagonize her and it's yeah. like all bets are off, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like, well, because he did that, you know, you know, it's, it really is quid pro quo uh, because he did that. Now I'm going to absolutely go bananas and, you know, all of a sudden everything escalates. Uh, well, you know, we do maybe sometimes adult versions of that where we compartmentalize. There's a mm-hmm. sense that sometimes I'm one person at uh, church. I'm another person at business. Maybe I'm another person with the guys uh, and I'm another person at home. And, and that gets really confusing, right? That that really, uh, you know, I was at a, a conference not that long ago and, and the, it was pre-pandemic, but they, the person asked, you know, if you're all being honest in the audience, who gets the best of you? Is it mm. is it home? Is it work? And like 95% of the people acknowledge that it's work. And, right. and on, on some hand, I get that, right? Like, you know, I can't just be, you know, uh, reacting and, and, and I mean, I kind of, kind of try and reserve and be my best self at work. Uh, but it shouldn't, it shouldn't be that way, right? Like there, there should be a sense that, uh, my family gets right. the, the very best of, of what I'm capable of giving. And so I think when we have a, a core sense, right, we have five core values that are just the essence of who we are and they relate easily to any part of our life, right? That these values are true of who I am at home, at work, you know, in my community, at church, wherever it is, it allows you to make the transition from work to home so much easier, right? Because you're not constantly having to change or put on a mask mm-hmm. or have a different, you know, sense of, of ego or whatever that's driving you. And and so, and, and I often uh, liken it to rowing a boat, you know, that if you're rowing in a consistent direction with both arms, you're going to get a lot further. But what most people do is they're rowing in one direction with one arm, but then the other, you know, arm is throwing in a completely different direction. If you ever row in a boat, you know, it's going to have you spinning around in circles. So you're putting out a lot of effort, but you feel like you're, you're, you're not getting anywhere, right? There's a sense of mm-hmm. really feeling dissatisfied and maybe even, you know, you're achieving a lot, but it often feels very empty and dissatisfying. Yes. And this, the, the, these, these five core values. So if we, if we, know what they we identify what they are and we're aware of them we can filter our decision making um our actions through we can sift them through those values to see if they align and if we are acting in alliant in alignment um it just starts to flow Right, like it just—it's this feeling of flow yeah. when you can focus on who you are as opposed to who you think everyone wants you to be or what you're supposed to be, or responding yes. just with emotion in the moment. Uh, be- beautifully said. You know, you think about like culture, fa- family culture, right? You think about your business culture. It's really just another term for identity. So, you know, your, your culture is about the internal dynamics of, of you know, who the people uh, at home know you to be. And so, you know, setting that values, like my kids, we talk about values all the time and they know, you know, faith and family are my top two. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when we go to church together as a family, I tell them, like, this doesn't get much better than this for me, right? Like this, mm-hmm. this, I, I feel totally aligned. And so we all have this kind of thing afterwards about how grateful dad is, right? How, how full my, my heart is at, at that moment. And if I don't say it immediately as we're leaving, right, the kids are like, daddy, you didn't say it. Um, but there's a sense I want them to know this is what we stand for. Mm-hmm. I want them to know when they're having to prioritize and they're having to figure out on the schoolyard or if they're meeting friends, you know, what's important. Is it, you know, what their friends are saying or are they firmly rooted in the fact that this is this is what's important, right? It's been emphasized. It's been reinforced. 
Um, I'm helping with them as, as they're going out and they're doing piano and, and doing uh, sports and, and school. You know, am, am I really focusing on the performance and whether or not they're getting you know straight A's or am I focused on their character? Right. Am I focused on are they being true to, to the values? And that's a tough one. Right. I mean, sometimes right. it's, it's, it's a tough, tough it's not a tough to dance. focus on. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm really glad you said is that really clear. Yeah. Go ahead. The research says what? Well, yeah. You know, even like around growth mindset that, that right. focusing right. more on, you know, whether it's the effort, but it's, it's more about who you're becoming in the process. And, and that's the essence of flow state flow state. You know, Mihaly Sheik sent me high. He wanted to understand happiness. Yeah. So he looked at, at that and he found that people had their peak moments of happiness when they were pursuing epic goals, right? Goals where they were being stretched in meaningful ways, pursuing impact and, you know, using their skills in ways that felt really meaningful. And it was not about reaching certain milestones or objectives, but it was about who you were becoming in the process. You're being stretched as a person and becoming better. That's yeah. when we have our, our highest level of potential reach. And it's also when we have our greatest moments of happiness and fulfillment. And when I, when I think about parenting, um, and just being human, how much of the, how much there's so much pull towards like needing to do something to be of value to, or to feel of value. And I know as over the parent, my parenting journey, how important it has been for me to focus on with my kids, just to, about telling them like, like you are enough just with who you are. Right. Like, like who you nice. are is enough. You being you, like being proud of who you are, not the what you do, what you've accomplished, what you've achieved. And, 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 and that is like swimming upstream in a culture and with social media, which is very much about, you know, what you wear, what you show, you know, what you are or quote pretend to be. And our kids are growing up with this talk about chaos and uncertainty. Um, and so I do think what you're saying is just so important to highlight to them about what you're calling with the values, like it's the values that are their true north, right? And if they can stay true to their values, um, it, it's the fallback, right? It's the fallback position. When life gets hard, focus on your true north. Who are you? What are you about? And what do you stand for? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love, I love that. You know, I think the, the intrinsic motivation, I think, points us tr true north. And, you know, that it's just a fancy term for uh, making choices that are really meaningful to you. You know, you, know, mm -hmm. I know you're, you talked about de depression earlier and how that really distorts our sense of, you know, of, of values and what's important to us. Um, you know, I, I read a, a study a little while ago that was looking at the best predictors of long-term sustainable happiness. And it, and it had a huge number of people. It was like 15,000 people that, that were studied. So, you know, it should be rel relatively generalizable. Um, and they were looking at things like optimism, you know, hopefulness, uh, gratitude, uh, but surprised that they found that the number one uh, variable that tends to lead to happiness is autonomy. Right? When people hmm. feel like their life is a good reflection of choices that they've, they feel truly bought into, right? This is important to me. It's my choice. I'm committed to it. Uh, and my life reflects that happiness tends to soar. And we know that, you know, the sense of learned helplessness, like when we start to feel stuck, I'm in a, a job, I'm, I'm doing mm -hmm. things where 
I, I, this is not what I chose, right? But I feel like I'm constantly having have these set of obligations. And, you know, I feel like it's like homework. I'd love to tell you at some point in grad school, I, I just really loved homework. That never right. happened, no, right? No, it always no. felt like this monster hanging over my right. Um, and life can feel that way, right? Life can start to feel like I've got these endless set of things that I'm obligated to, right? And these things that I don't want to let people down, but they're they're not autonomously chosen. And, and it mm-hmm. almost is like, you know, I don't mean to be too dramatic, but it, it is soul robbing, you know, really. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, intrinsic motivation is just about knowing, uh, you know, what you're doing, why you're doing it and to what end. And when you're able to say, I'm doing this because this is important to me, it's a good use of my strengths and it has impact and purpose that matters to me. Yeah. You will, you will light up, right? You yeah. will start to see your commitment to your goals, your commitment to your family. You know, the concept of flow state has been studied a lot in sports. And in, uh, in, you know, job performance, uh, I don't know why they don't have more studies on family, but there right. should be, cause yeah. you can absolutely experience flow state in family, right? When you're sure. really playing with your kids or engaged with family in ways that are, are, are meaningful to you. And you feel like you're, you know, connected to your values. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I can lose a sense of time and, and absolutely just feel, uh, that peak level of happiness rising and what a gift to give what a to gift. family and kids, right? And to hold on to those moments, right? They're all fleeting, but just to be aware that it's happening right now and just to start, sort of lean into it. The other thing, Andy, that you said that's making me think about the challenge of the anti-helicopter parenting movement, which is really important because of the the research that you just you just cited, which is, you know, a lot of parents for lots of reasons are really involved in their kids' lives these days, much more than in prior generations. And while there's reasons, lots of different reasons for it, it often robs kids of their own identity, their own intrinsic motivation, yeah. their sense of security um, and efficacy in the world because decisions are being made for them, they're being managed, and they don't feel that their life is their own and their choices are their own. So it is this dance that we have to be really aware of, again, to say that word of like, how much am I doing for my kid versus allowing them to do? And how much am I letting them step in their own lives, depending, of course, on their developmental age, um, so they can own their self and their choices? And that, that is gold right there. And it, it's tough, right? I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I get this. To watch my kids struggle, to watch them have to go through something difficult, I have to be really secure kind of in who I am, right? Because it starts to bring out the sense of discomfort uh, within me. And I just want to kind of make it go away sometimes. But I recognize that's important for their development so they can learn who they are uh, and and, and totally agree. I I see a lot of times with families uh, this push-pull where parents are feeling like if I don't stay on top of them, then they just won't do their homework. They won't do anything. They'll just, you know, become lazy. And and so the more that they push, though, it creates psychological reactance. That sense that even yeah. if that kid knows that they should do it and they know it's good for them, they create totally. resistance. The minute totally. autonomy is taken away from you, right? Right. You start to resist that thing. And right. and you know, when I get parents to back off, the tough thing is I'd love for the kid to immediately step in and start taking self-initiative and that. Right. But you know, they don't always. And so then no. it reinforces sometimes their parents, see, I told you, I knew this was gonna happen. Uh, but you know, I've got a set of exercises where I help kids and help parents to start to define like why is school important to me, right? What, let, let, let them put it in their language and let them figure out. School doesn't do a good job of that, right? School just right. like, here's homework. We don't really care if you like it or if this is intrinsically motivating. You just have to do it. But 
when you start to get kids, you know, you start to get your kids to be able to acknowledge that these are the benefits in it for me. And this is why I enjoy it. Um, I've had kids talk about, you know, I feel like it's, I'm an architect digging for, you know, pieces of information that are like treasures. I mean, really creative things. And all of a sudden, their self-initiative goes off the charts. Kids who were previously defined as lazy are super motivated. Yeah. Right? And it removes that constant uh, conflict at the dinner table and that thing of, I'm so angry, right? Because now I just had to spend an hour on your case to get you off the video games. Right. Um, but it's, a, it's a amazing, you know, when you start to prioritize some of these, you know, called true north principles or, or ideas, um, how they start to find their own motivation, uh, totally. figure out who they are. Totally. Oh, gosh, there's so much more to talk about. And yet, we've got to start bringing this thing down to the <laughs> close. And so, therefore, it's the parent footprint moment question for you, Andy. Here we go. Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or had an awareness of your parents or grandparents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life and those you love. Yeah, you, you know, as you said that, uh, you, you prefaced, or at least given me that this question was going to come. Uh, and I had a, a couple of moments circling through my head. But, but what, what comes to my mind now is an awareness of, uh, the, I think I've referenced that I am emotionally sensitive. It's been something about, as a kid, when we would be putting dishes away, uh, if there was like one spoon in the dishwasher, I would be afraid that it was going to be lonely. So I would mm -hmm. go grab a clean spoon and put it in there. Right. And yeah. there's always a sense I felt yeah. things very strongly. Yeah. Uh, but for many years of my life, I saw that as a major liability, right? It was not something that I saw as a strength or a gift or accepted about myself. And so when I'd have these strong emotions, I would shame myself, right? I would, I would try and, and uh, avoid it. And, you know, you can't suppress these feelings. They're, they're there, whether I, you know, want to acknowledge them or accept them or not. And so having a daughter who also has a high level of emotional sensitivity uh, really has challenged me uh, to, to accept this part of who I am. And, mm -hmm. and I genuinely do now see it as one of my super strengths. It empowers me to have, you know, discussions, you know, with, with men and, and with women, but especially men who don't normally go deep, right? Mm -hmm. Men who, who often don't uh, talk about emotions. I, I've seen those same very men open up and start to get in touch with their feelings, right? And recognize what a gift that is for them. And so, and if, and if I'm not able to accept, you know, this aspect of who I am, then mm -hmm. guaranteed I am going to give off messages to my daughter that it's a liability for her, that it's something she should be ashamed of, right? It's something that she needs to, you know, get over. And I want her to see it also as a superpower. Now it takes work on how to like, you know, channel it and, and try and, and lead it so that she's able to, to use it in ways that are constructive. Um, you know, and I'm still on that journey, you know, trying to figure mm -hmm. that out as well. Mm -hmm. But there was a, a real awareness of, hey, uh, this is just part of who you are. And, yeah. you know, learning how to embrace and accept and, and the impact that has on, on my, my family is, is enormous. Awesome. Awesome. Well, your, uh, your emotional sensitivity and your awareness and your insight is clearly part of your, uh, your superpower uh, that you're using regularly uh, to uh, help people live the lives they want. And um, T tell people about, you know, what you're doing, your, your course. Um, there, there's so much cool stuff that you have been creating and uh, like just working with and refining. And, um, it's really culminated to, um, an amazing program. 
Well, I, I appreciate that. And I can't believe I, I looked down at one point just a few minutes ago, how quick this time, time it felt like, right? To, Flow. Um, when man. I'm doing things Flow. autonomously. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, so yeah, we, we, uh, we put together a course that people can go through as part of a cohort. And so we have, you know, uh, about once every uh, eight weeks, we're launching new groups and people are going through it as, a, a, you know, having the most amazing discussions. You know, it's a, a digital uh, course, so they have lifetime access to all the modules and the exercises. Uh, you know, these exercises are that have research backing them. Uh, there's ones that are flow state exercises that are proven to increase the amount of time you spend in flow state. So it, it's some of the most powerful stuff that I've ever done personally and certainly professionally. Uh, and it guides people through just a process. You know, the first part is how do you let go of that generational, right? So the, what's the identity that's been passed down to you from your environment? Uh, there's just an awareness of where that came and then making a, a decision that here's what I want to carry forward and here's what I'm going to set down right now, right? And create a new pathway forward. So, uh, and then it leads into not just defining your values, but then it's got a set of exercises that help you to deeply internalize uh, and how to implement them day to day. So they really do just become a, a natural uh, extension of who you are and, and, and you very easily and organically filter your decisions, the relationships you choose, the work you take on through that lens. Uh, there's a awesome. terms of motivation and then there's a great strength. One thing I'd love to offer just real quick, uh, if anybody's interested, there's a, an exercise um, about defining your superpower. And so it, you know, there's a little art uh, on it too. I enjoy my kids that get out the coloring books. Uh, I'm down there with, they don't realize how much I enjoy it myself. <laughs> and sometimes um, I have to, you know, give the paper back to them. Be like, <laughs> all right, I realize it's not, not my uh, assignment, uh, but to, to, to really define and see your, your character strength uh, as your superpower, right. Is to understand whether it's uh, emotional intelligence, whether it's uh, courage uh, and then understanding how you want to apply it virtuously. Like I, I b believe, I'll say this quickly, that uh, the, the greatest superheroes, you know, people like Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, you know, what really defined their specialness is that they use their character strengths, whether it was a, a love for, for justice or if it was compassion. And they mm -hmm. applied it intrinsically motivated, right, to have virtuous impact. And so it was about bringing good into the community. It wasn't about enriching themselves personally, but it was just a mission that was so important yeah. to them. So I think the more that we figure out what are those character strengths that are so essential to, essential to us and how do we want to use them for good, um, that is our greatest superpower. So I have an exercise on that that you can just get at ag-thrive.com um, and we'll make a, a, a link that's easy for people to find uh, if they're interested in going through that. It's awesome to do with kids, right? To have kids. Awesome. My daughter's got yeah. a picture of her. My son's got one of his. It's, it's really, nice. really powerful. AG-thrive.com. See, thriving is even part of the whole business mission statement, mission and life, right? Yeah. Consistency, right? Got to yeah, make sure. Consistency, man. Take away the uncertainty. Be consistent. Show up. <laughs> Dr. Andy, thanks so much. I'm like so glad. I'm so glad we finally did this uh, in a recorded way. We've done. We, we've had many conversations not recorded, and um, all I can say is that I just uh, it's just a privilege uh, to be on this journey with you and uh, keep doing what you're doing. You're uh, changing lives. Well, the feeling is is, is absolutely mutual. Um, and I, I couldn't have higher respect. Uh, for you than I already do. And uh, just feel very honored and privileged to have opportunities to collaborate with you here and in other ways too. And we'll keep it going.
We'll keep it going. Awesome. Yeah. All right, everyone. This truly does have to end now. You know what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to do a few things. One is to continue to bring your friends and family and loved ones to our community. Um, We've got such an amazing community of like-minded humans aspiring to be the best versions of themselves um, and raise the next generation of healthy humans. Thank you for your five-star reviews. Please share this show with everyone you think will benefit. Ask yourself the question I ask myself every day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Listen, follow, and leave us a review on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, you can listen to new episodes one week early on Amazon Music or early and ad-free, plus bonus episodes by subscribing to Wondery Plus in the Wondery app. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.